You're listening to the Mastering College to Career podcast, the show for first-generation and minority college students. Each episode will feature topics such as highlights and progress from students who have completed the MC2C mentoring program, networking opportunities, and unique insights and strategies from industry thought leaders. So, if you're looking for your guide to success, you're in the right place. Now, without further ado, let's get into the show. All right, welcome, welcome back to this episode of the Mastering College to Career Podcast. And today we're going to be speaking about one of my favorite topics, and that is money. We're going to talk about financial literacy and how you as a college student can be smart about money and the decisions that you make as a college student can help you make a really solid financial foundation. And to do that today, I have an expert. I have a financial educator and business strategist, Angel Radcliffe. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I am good. And yourself? I am doing amazing. I am so excited to have this conversation with you because I think like there's so many things that I know now that if I wish I knew them when I was in college, I would have been a lot richer than I am now or a lot wealthier, or a lot better set or, or not have to stress about money. And so I just want to talk about this. And my hopes today is that everybody listening here can pick up one or two tips that can dramatically increase their ability and build their positive net worth and retire and not have to worry about life. That's my goal. Think we could do it? Yeah. And I think that applies to everyone listening. Um, if you are past the the college age and into your career, I think we could all look back and think of that should have, could have, would have. And so the good thing about it is we can start now to make better financial decisions, but definitely would like to give tips to those who are just getting started on their journey as a young adult. I think one of the, like, I don't understand why is it that universities do not teach financial literacy as a mandated course? Well, I think it start, it should start well before the university level. So think back to your childhood when you were given an allowance or you're at the grocery store or, or Target or Walmart with your parents and you're asking for something on the shelves and understanding the value of money. That's one, one principle I try to instill within my family, within my friends, children. I have 10 nieces and nephews. And so having so many kids around me and of course kids, what do they do? They beg, they want things. Uh, you may give them birthday money, Christmas money, and they spend it on the craziest things, candy, video games. I try to instill into them, you know, understanding the value of a dollar. So if you, if you have $50, are you going to spend it all on, on junk food? Are you going to spend it all on one t-shirt? <laughs> and I have my oldest niece who's 15. She loves, loves to buy the most expensive things. And I try to teach her uh, the value of money. So think it starts at a very young age. And I definitely think it should be mandated more in high school. So you're getting ready to step out into the world as a young adult. Most people do turn 18 while they're in high school. I've seen people move out on their own um, as soon as they turn 18 or they're right until uh, what college grad or high school graduation going into college. And you have to understand, like, what do you do with your money? How do you allocate it? How do you set a budget? Um, what your responsibilities are? How do you pay those bills? So, so definitely before 
before college, but in college, there should be some sync ups from the advisors um, and even like optional courses to learn to manage your money and understand credit. Yeah, I think it's so important. I think starting so young is, is crucial. I've always was thinking like when I have kids, what I can do. And even now that I have a godson, uh, like my best friend, I was telling you about Miguel, right? He has a son, so I became the godfather. And like, I just realized like every, and they get a bunch of toys on their birthday. And so I told my wife that instead of getting them toys or why don't we just buy them stocks? And so we started buying him like $50 of Disney stock every time it was his birthday or Christmas. And he loves the movie Cars. And so we've taught him, like my wife and I, like we've taught him that he owns Lightning McQueen. Like he's an owner of Lightning McQueen. And now he even says, Lightning McQueen, I own Lightning McQueen because he owns stocks in Disney, right? And he's four years old and he's already thinking that way. And that's kind of like really cool. But um, I, 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 I would, my goal is for him to be able to have enough money saved up in stocks that when he's old enough, he could buy a car and he can buy a car cash because that's one of the biggest mistakes that I've noticed college students make is they graduate, they go from a coach, a broke college student, maybe they get a really good job. Like, like, like students in my program will get a lot of money. And the first thing they do is go get a brand new car. And they're like, what, what? And, and they determine what car to get based on what they're qualified for. And because they have high income and no, no, like their debt to income ratio is so high, they can qualify for a $600 uh, payment on a, on a BMW. And I'm like, what are you doing? So I guess what advice do you have on like some smart decisions right out of college when you go from being broke to having money and everybody <laughs> wants to let you borrow money now, right? Everybody's like, here, take a credit card, take a credit card. Of course. So I, I one, I want to go back to, let's start at the credit card phase of, I don't know if they're still doing this on college campuses. I don't want to date myself, but when I was in college on our quad, they would have the credit card companies come out and sign you up for credit cards right then and there, give you some swag. You get like, like a sweatshirt, you get free boxes of food. Everyone needed food for their dorm room. So we were always signing up for credit cards. And I'm not sure what the tactics are these days with college students, but but definitely understanding just because you have a $10,000 limit, $20,000 limit that you don't necessarily have to go and run that card up or max it up. Or just because the bank is offering you a car loan for 30,000, 40,000 saying that this is the amount that you're approved for. You don't necessarily have to go out and, and accept the full amount of the loan. Think about your personal budget. Think about the future. So most people who are just getting a job may not have their own place yet. Um, several of my mentees still live at home with their parents. And of course they want the fancy car. They want the BMW, they want the Mercedes, but they, they haven't thought about what those future expenses will look like. Can they afford to purchase a condo? Can they afford to rent their apartment? And right now their number one expense is their car payment and their car insurance. <laughs> so map everything out before you're making these financial decisions, because especially if you're purchasing a new car, when you're purchasing a new car, as soon as you walk off the lot, that car depreciates in value. And that's also something that's not necessarily like taught to young adults, depreciation and how do you manage these particular assets uh, a car will only last you for so long and I always say it doesn't matter what what type of car you drive who are you trying to impress it's like can you get to point a to to point b so some of those tips is really just it goes back to having a budget managing 
and allocating your income um, to prepare yourself for success. Yeah. Um, you, you talked, you touched about credit and I think that's something like I'll tell you my experiences. I didn't know anything about credit. My mom didn't teach me about credit. I was raised by a single mother in a low income, like low income, right? Um, my dad died when I was young and I didn't understand how credit worked. And I just remember my first experience with credit and trying to build credit was going to a bank and saying, here, Daniel, you can have a $500 credit card, but we, you we would hold $500 from your checking account as collateral. That was like my first experience of credit. Now, I look at the other side, my wife, um, her, both of her parents went to college, her dad's a doctor. They started building her credit when she was in middle school with co-signing co a card with her, a card with her. And at the end, when we were both graduating college, her credit was so much higher than mine was because her length of credit was there. Like what advice do you have for students, particularly students that have never had a lot of credit advice on how to build credit, where how to build credit without getting into debt? Because a lot of the mainstream advice that they hear from their friends is just get a credit card. You just need more credit cards to get more credit. That's so interesting because uh, it's a misconception and within so many consumers where you think is the more credit you have, the better your credit score will be. And that's not always the case. So think about if you're the bank and I am a lend potential lender and I'm opening up credit card after credit card after credit card. And then now I'm coming to the bank and I'm asking the bank for a loan. The, the loan companies or the banks, they do look at your credit report. And one of those things that they take into account or what, which also affects your score is the number of inquiries that you have on your credit report. So how many times that you're out here applying for credit, those credit inquiries last for two years on your credit report. Typically, if the banks, um, any lender sees a, a high number of inquiries, a high number of accounts being opened, then you become more of a high risk. It doesn't matter if those cards have zero balance. It doesn't matter if you haven't used them in, in quite some time. If you are constantly applying for credit, uh, it can be it can be a sign of something bad to happen. Maybe you just lost your job, or maybe you know that you're getting ready to lose your job. The banks are thinking like, "Well, what is this person doing? Why do they need all of all of this credit?" So the things that do sort of raise your credit score are, are keeping low balances. So if you have a credit card and the your limit's one thousand dollars, you want to keep your limit or your your daily balance below 30%. 30% of 1,000 is $300. And for someone with a credit card limit of $1,000, you might be thinking, well, that's not a lot of money for me to use. So not necessarily saying that you can't go over that $300. So if you do try to pay it down as soon as possible, but think about what your statement date is. If your credit card statement date is the 30th of every month, meaning that's when they're telling you that your next payment is due, the statement date is what's what's reported to the credit bureaus. And typically three to five days before the statement date is your due date. So if you tend to run up those credit cards, um, I do sort of push that concept of paying down the balance so that you can be below that 30% threshold. As, as you track and monitor your credit report, as you are increasing your percentage past that 30%, you'll start to see your score decline. So inquiries can cause your score to decline. Late payments will cause your score to decline and applying for additional credit 
will cause your score to decline. So pay attention to all of those things would be some advice. Yeah, I think credit is one of those things that's very, very interesting. Another thing that I found, like I, that I found very interesting that I wish someone would have told me is living below your means out of college. And I, I guess I'll share a little bit of my story and it, it worked out for me, but I also saw a lot of friends suffered. So again, come out of college, I was making $60,000 a year. I was feeling like a baller because before that I was a broke, broke, broke. I graduated with $20,000 worth of student debt, but um, call it luck or call it not. Some of my fr close friends out of college weren't making near as much as I was. And so we decided to live together in an apartment in a very sketchy area of town. And so because of that, my monthly uh, rent with everything utilities was less than $400, right? Which is fantastic. I'm making $60,000 a year. And that allowed me to save enough money to buy my first home a year after graduation, right? I was able to put a down payment. And that home has been a big, if I look at my overall positive net worth, that home has been uh, over 50% of my net worth has been the increase of equity on that home. So I got lucky for that. Hey, you made it to the middle of the episode. Let's take a break to tune in to how one of the mentees used insight from Daniel and the Mastering Kasha Career Academy to help them take steps towards their dream job or internship. Hey guys, it's an amazing Sunday today because I just received a job offer from my dream cybersecurity company that I've been trying for so many months. And it's all thanks to Dan Batero and the Mastering College Career Academy. Just like you guys, I applied to hundreds of job postings. I only got a few job interviews, but no job offers. So it left me so frustrated because I needed guidance, I needed support, and I needed a mentor to help me put myself in the best possible situation. And now I landed my dream job and my dream company during the midst of COVID-19. So it shows you guys, the program works. This is one of the best investments that I've made for myself. And I hope to see you guys part of the M2C family. This student's testimony is just one of thousands who have landed a position in their dream career. So if you're interested in joining the Academy alongside these successful mentees, schedule a strategy call with Daniel today at www.masteringcollegetogareer.com forward slash strategy call. And now let's get back to the episode. But one thing I wish I would have known after, you know, now that I've read a lot of books on personal finances is living below your means and living with like using ratios. And I don't know if you, you if you know what I'm talking about when I use ratios, but how, well, like what percentage of someone's income should be spent on housing versus transportation versus leisure versus saving and so on? Like, do you, do you look at it that way? If you do, like, what do you recommend are some good ways to follow or what are some best practices? So yes, I do follow ratios. So I tend to push the 50-30-20 rule. Not sure if you're familiar with that, but 50-30-20 is a way of really um, dividing up what that discretionary income is, of course. Um, think about your expenses as a whole, right? You have your rent, you have your mortgage, you have your car payment, there's groceries, uh, there's a multitude of things that we pay for on a monthly basis. And then now you have to categorize these things. Uh, what goes into this category of, of needs, necessities, like you need a place to live. So of course, rent and mortgage, you need groceries, um, you need your car, and then you have wants, right? So wants are the things that you don't necessarily need to survive, but you want, like you want yeah. to get a haircut. For ladies, we want to get our nails done. <laughs> 
we want to go to the movies, right? Or take a vacation. And then there's savings. So within those three major categories, when we're looking at needs alone, no more than 50% of your net income. So what you're bringing home after taxes, no more than 50% should be allocated towards needs. No more than 30% should be allocated towards your wants. And you should be saving a, a bare minimum of 20%. And when we're looking at people in society, there's very few people who are able to save that 20%. Uh, there's over 70% of people in this country who don't have $1,000 in their bank account for an emergency, meaning they don't have the cash. They're either putting it on a credit card or they're borrowing from a family or friend. Yeah. And so I always say, if you can't start out the gate with that 20%, start with 5%, set some sort of goal to build yourself up, but also look at a way to decrease that percentage of what's going towards once. Because if we're living by the rule, this 50, 30, 20 rule, 30% for once is it's extreme. Um, and, and when I first started out, in, in my 20s and learning about finance because I sort of grew up um, not understanding finance, not understanding money. My, my parents didn't teach me about money. My mother never had a credit card until she was 50 years old. So imagine like me growing up, she couldn't teach me and my siblings about, about credit if she never had things for herself. Yeah. So it was more of um, learning through experience going through college. And I was sort of the same way, graduated from college with a lot of credit card debt trial and error, and then decided to start teaching other people um, by the things that I was learning. And, and it's not something that you understand by age. It's like finances. It you, Being financially literate goes across all age gaps. I remember when I was like 27 and I had a coworker who was in her 40s and I was expecting her to give me all of this great information on lunch break as I was crying about my student loans and she didn't know. And I was like, what? Like, how, how can she not give me this advice? And she's so much older than me. And then as I started to uh, get into this world of financial literacy and, and bettering myself, I, I found out so many people don't understand that. But, yeah. but the 50, 30, 20 rule does work if you put it into action, if you have a plan, and if you stick to it. I want to go a little bit deeper into this because I think this is a much simpler way than what I explained it. And obviously, this is why you're the expert and I'm just a a hobbyist when it comes to learning about personal finances, right? Um, so you first thing is first that, that stuck up to me is fit. So is 50% of after taxes. So like when, when I think that's a really common mistake, because I think if you come out of college and the average college student makes around $50,000, right? You can't just say, okay, I'm $25,000 is going to go to rent, right? Like that doesn't or rent and utilities and everything else that you need. Like that doesn't count that way. Like in your experience, if, if we could break this down and we could do some easy math here, maybe we can pull up our phones. We could do some calculators um, here. If a, if a student graduates college making $50,000 on average, how much does uncle Sam take? Like in a state like Texas or Florida, well, no, on, no state income on taxes. average, so. let's say your taxes, your social security, I'm let's, I'm going to average $10,000 a year. So let's say, and, and that's not even including your, what you're allocating towards 401k, your health yeah. insurance. So, and 401k is dependent upon you. So if someone's going to put in, you know, that 6% or 12% or whatever percentage it is, but, but, and that's a common misconception. That is something so many people get wrong. They tend to budget on their salary and not right. the net income. And we have to think we're not bringing home that salary. Um, and so you, if you if you do your budget based off of your $50,000 salary, you're doing it wrong. 
because how can you allocate money that you don't have in your pocket? Right. So let's do this. So we're, we're doing this uh, fake budget for college students. His name is Miguel. Miguel, this All right. is for you, bro. Listen up. All right. 40000 so $50,000. Congratulations. You got a good job. Um, now, Uncle Sam is going to take $10,000, right? About? Say it one more time. I, I can't So hear you. Uncle Sam, the government takes $10,000 for taxes and Social Security. Yep. That leaves Miguel with $40,000 a year. 50% of that is $20,000, right? We're on the same page. Yep. $20,000 for needs. And so when you're thinking about needs, it's not only your rent and your mortgage, it's the groceries, it's the renter's insurance, it's um, anything that you're considering a need, your car payment would be a need, um, health insurance, if it's not already taken out from your job. Yep. So those, those things that you absolutely need to survive your gas money. I'm thinking, I'm like, there's yeah. so many things that can be, can be lumped into that category. So so if we break down that $20,000, divide that by 12, you're looking at it at $1,667, right? And, mm -hmm. and like, here's what, so that doesn't mean that you go rent an apartment for $1,500 because that will only leave you $150 left. So correct. So you essentially would really realistically um, would could only afford an apartment that's around $800 at this salary. That it, you're right. You're right on the money. Right. So and most people who are graduating from college, of course, they want the fancy apartment. They want the high rise building. They want. Something that's fine. Get, get the high, <laughs> high rise building with four roommates. Then you can afford it. So that, I, I, here's the thing. It's a give, give and take relationship here. Like you can't have it all. So you have to prioritize. I, I tell the students, are you a car person? Do you care more about what you drive or where you live? Because as a college student, you, the odds are you can't have both. So I am a house person. My wife and I are a house person. We like our, we put a lot more money in our house, but uh, we drive crappy cars in a sense, right? Like we could be driving BMWs, but we don't drive BMWs. We drive crappy cars because we prioritize our housing. But we don't want to go too too deep into uh, into the weeds here. So forty thousand dollars, you get sixteen hundred six thousand six hundred and seven and sixty seven dollars for your needs, right? Yep. That leaves. $2,000 left uh, for, wait, did I say that right? Yeah, that leaves $20,000 left for your wants and, and, and saves, correct? And your savings. So, so out of that 40,000 that you're bringing home, then no more than 30% of that should go towards the wants. So what is that? I'm doing quick math in my head. That's $12,000. So, so your wants $12, would be $12,000. Mm -hmm, per year. Which is $1,000 a month. And which is, that sounds excessive, right? Sounds a bit excessive. I don't, I don't think so because here's the thing. Most college students out of college want to start traveling mm -hmm. and you can spend uh, really easily spend $12,000 traveling in one year. It's, it's possible, to, but, right. but if we're being realistic, it, it sounds excessive to spend $1,000 a month on, on frivolous things. So, yeah. So I think, but I think a thousand dollars is a fair enough. I think you can live, you can have a really good want, right? You can go to dollar drinks, the bar with dollar drinks versus the premium $15, the $15 cocktail. Like this is where you have to start balancing. Um, and then you're saving. So when you're talking about saving, we're, we're talking about saving 20% of $40,000, of $40, right? Yes. And this uh, is purely for 
investing or your emergency fund, because of course, if we're thinking about, we don't want to lump 401k into that savings if that's taken out from, from your job. That was my follow-up question. If, if 401k, let's say that you're in, if a company is, that provides a 401k and they match dollar for dollar, right? You should automatically, you should go as much as, much as they match, right? But what is your recommended? So if you're, if you're suggesting saving 20, 20%, how much of that should be on the 401k side versus on the one that should be on your savings account that you can access it for emergencies and stuff like that? What's the beautiful balance that you suggest? So if we're looking at your gross income, uh, so before we're actually looking at the net, I always say a bare minimum of 6%. Typically, that's what the companies match. And then as you become accustomed to your budget, and if you see that you can allocate a bit more money to your 401k, then I would definitely recommend doing that. It's tax-free. It's a, it's a tax-free deduction. But then you also have to remember, once you increase that percentage for 401k, then you have to reallocate your budget. So it's either maybe you would like to reduce the percentage that you have towards your wants. Um and if it's, if it's more of an after-tax deduction, so you're going to now put money into a Roth or you're going to invest money into the stock market, think about which bucket that would come from. Would that come for that, from that 20% of the savings or would that come from your 30% of, of more of your wants? So that's more of a personal decision to, to decide where to allocate that after-tax. But before tax, it, it started, it's sort of restarting the process all over. So once you change anything, if you're changing your withholdings on your W-4 form, if you're changing what you're allocating towards the 401k, um, if you have a family, now you have a child and now you, your health insurance is increasing, anything that changes your deductions, which um, changes the number of net pay requires a budget change. Yeah. That's super interesting. I I think this is a really good base for someone to start with, like understanding. I I love the 50, 30, 20. um, And I think like this is everybody listening here, even if you've graduated, about to graduate, whatever that might be, should take one hour to just do the math and do this for yourself right now. Right. Like really figure out. And 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 look, if I, I, this is just some advice someone had once told me, if you could continue to live like a college student for five years after you graduate, you could retire 15 years earlier. And I know like, like it's just a rule, like it's one of those things, like it, it's just going to work out because of the, of the compound interest effect. But this has been amazing. Angel, like what you share, like can honestly change someone's trajectory for the rest of their life. If, if someone listening to wants to learn more about you and, you know, and your teachings about financial literacy. Where is like, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and where can they find you? Sure. So as a, I've been in financial literacy since 2012. So I've been teaching financial literacy over the net, the last nine years. I've partnered with several nonprofit companies. I've partnered with the credit bureaus, Experian, um, TransUnion, Equifax, um, credit card companies. So Discover, American Express. I'm often featured on Experian's credit chat. Um, and so many more publications of where I, I provide advice or sit on panels. But if anyone's wanting to follow online, they can follow at angelradcliffe.com or they can follow me on all social media as Miss RMBA, M I S S R M B A. I also have a podcast, Milestones, Motivation, and Money. And so there's so many different areas of, of information uh, where you all can find me. I typically, I am, I am 
very much a fan of the Instagram story. So definitely follow me there. Sometimes on Saturdays, I'll go live on Instagram and answer all of your financial questions. Love it. Thank you so much. I am going to put some of those links, um, her email, her LinkedIn account, her Instagram account, and her website, um, as well as her podcast, all of that. You can find this in the show notes. Angel, like, honestly, this is great. This is really, really informative. Thank you so much uh, for coming to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And for everybody else listening, thank you so much and catch you guys on the next episode. You've been listening to the Mastering College to Career podcast. We hope that you enjoyed the show. In an age of short attention spans, this speaks volumes about you. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think that the podcast deserves. Until next time, catch you guys on the next episode.